0: Yes. Okay. All right, guys. Hygiene Elevated conversations and innovations here. We've got Bethany, the human RDH, with us. And Hello. Bethany, we're just so thankful to have you on tonight. Thank you for carving out some time for us. Of course. And Thank you for having me. Yes. We're just so excited and want to know everything you're up to and everything you're doing because the few little pieces we know are just fascinating
1: (laughs) yeah i mean um i'm up to a lot of things honestly i so um where do i start i work i work clinically three days a week at a sleep and tmj practice so it's technically classified as dental sleep medicine and we provide oral appliance therapy for patients suffering from snoring sleep apnea and TMJ disorder um, we don't even have the equipment to provide general dentistry there so it's it's very untraditional um it's it's been a, a really great experience for me i've learned a lot and i really like to um I really like knowing that the work that we're doing for these people in our community, it, it's helping to bridge that gap between dentistry and, and the medical community. So we work a lot with referring physicians. We refer our patients to physicians a lot too for sleep testing. And um and it's it's just awesome like we're, we're improving people's health. We're helping them to sleep better. We're improving people's relationships. We have couples that haven't been able to sleep in the same bed in the same room for years. And so yeah. it, it feels good being able to, to help people in that way. But um, when I'm not working clinically, I have a role with um, Endeavor Business Media. I serve as an editorial director for Through the Loops, which is a daily newsletter that's put out by Dentistry IQ. I've been doing that for uh, nearly a year now, and then I also write a lot. I've I've been a pretty regular contributor to RDH Magazine for the past couple years now, and um, I serve the industry as a key opinion leader. I represent a lot of companies and manufacturers. Through my writing and my speaking and webinars and in-person events, things like that. And lastly, I'm a student. I'm just I'm just finishing up a bachelor's degree in dental hygiene, and I'll graduate next month. And I'm looking to start uh, grad school in the fall, so I've I've got a pretty full plate. I keep myself pretty busy.
0: Okay, Bethany, what do you plan you on majoring in? crazy busy. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, I, I'm currently majoring in dental hygiene, mainly because that was going to be the easiest degree for me to get. <laughs> um, but my my uh, master's degree that I'll be working on in the fall is a uh, master's in business administration. So that, mm. that I'm really excited about. I, I wanted something that would be very versatile for me something that I could use in, you know, different kinds of industries. And and, and so I, I know that that will do that for me. So I'm excited for that. Such a great, such a great degree. I
2: have a follow-up question. What does hygiene look like in a practice like yours that doesn't have traditional dentistry
1: associated with it? What does that look like for you? so my practice we we have one dentist and then uh there are two hygienists myself and I have a co-hygienist and it it's um very little hygiene we we really don't do much of anything with traditional hygiene we help to manage Mm -hmm. patients uh, oral appliance therapy we'll pretty much do the whole diagnostic workup preparing them for sleep testing and collecting records. We do a lot with uh, billing to their medical insurance and following up on pre-authorizations, things like that. And then once all of that gets approved, we will take digital impressions with these patients and send them off to the lab. And then she and I will deliver those appliance to the patients and give them all the instructions on how to take care of them and do special bite exercises in the mornings when they take their appliance off. And and then we typically will see them about every two weeks during the adjustment process to help them find the the perfect setting for their appliance. And then we'll help get them set up for a final sleep test so that we can make sure that the appliance is effective in managing their sleep apnea. And from there, we uh, will see them once a year so my co-hygienist and I we we basically do all of that. My dentist he does very little. <laughs> he supervises what we do. Um he's a part of their initial comprehensive exam, but aside from that it's it's really she and I that um that manage the patient's care and so I really appreciate that he trusts us that much that that we really are able to act as like mid-level providers it feels like when you come to our office it feels like you're seeing like a nurse practitioner or something um that's basically the role that she and i have so um it's awesome we When it comes to hygiene, all I really will touch on with patients is uh, I'll discuss periodontal health with them and and how important it is for them to maintain good oral hygiene when they're wearing an appliance. And when I am using the digital scanner on their mouth to take their impression, I'll, I'll talk with them a bit about my findings if it looks like. They haven't had their teeth cleaned in a while. I'll definitely bring that up and ask them some questions and give them some suggestions on following up with their general dentist and and scheduling a, a hygiene visit. But aside from that, um, I haven't been touching scalers lately, so it's it's been it's been different. I do temp a little bit here and there. And so that's how I'm able to keep up with my hygiene skills and, and kind of fill my cup in that way. But 90% of the time, or maybe even more like 98% of the time, it's it's dental sleep medicine. So it's been a shift.
2: How long have you been working in
1: this practice setting? I joined, I joined this practice um, about a year ago. And before that i had quite a bit of exposure to dental sleep medicine this this doctor that i work with um i initially worked with him about six years ago he hired me when he had this small kind of boutique style cosmetic practice and so he hired me on to be his his hygienist and so i did all the hygiene things for him and and during that time he was starting to transition himself out of general dentistry because he he's been practicing dentistry for like over 30 years and he's been experiencing a lot of aches and pains that go along with um with the profession and so he had become turned on to um, dental sleep medicine because of his own personal experience he got diagnosed with severe sleep apnea and um, looked at all kinds of different treatment options and and really fell in love with oral appliance therapy and knew that he wanted to dedicate his career to that if he was going to be transitioning out of general dentistry so while i was working for him the first time he had sold his practice and uh, had a special agreement with the uh, the new practice owner that he would stay on board as the dental sleep medicine provider and so during that time um, i wasn't doing all of the patient management roles with the oral appliance therapy that i do now it was more performing really thorough screenings on patients airway screenings and going through sleep questionnaires and and making sure that we're meeting patients needs that way and then i would refer them on to him But after a while, um, the the new practice owner, it just it wasn't a great fit for me. And so I ended up leaving that office and working somewhere else for a while. I kept in touch with the original owner. Um, We stayed in in pretty uh, regular communication. And his plan was to eventually, you know, grow out of that practice and have his own location and and just to solely dedicate himself to oral appliance therapy. And so that time finally came. Um, last year, he moved into a brand new building and had the space for me. And so I jumped at the offer and I've been there ever since. It's been awesome.
2: That's such an awesome, awesome story. I love... I think you you kind of nailed it when you said it's almost more like your patients are visiting a nurse practitioner. I think you're probably the first hygienist I've ever talked to that kind of has that not typical hygiene, but still a provider. So I think that's so awesome. I'm jealous, but <laughs> congratulations.
1: Thanks. Yeah. It's, and it's-
2: and uh, Bethany, I'm over here thinking like,
0: Wow! All like listening to your story, you know, just all those pieces just like fell into place for you. Is that's like where my mind is thinking? But I'm like, no, that's not what happened. Like mm-hmm. you worked incredibly hard, and you are accomplishing so many things to make all of those things happen. Like,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: um, yeah, when you when you first started talking about uh, the sleep appliances and how it's changing relationships between the spouses, I immediately just thought like. I just love that because it really is like the smallest things that always mean the the most to people, like just oh, to be able to sleep yeah. next yeah. to their spouse Like that's so simple, you know, but like, and, and I just, I just love that. So I think that's fantastic yeah. that you recognize even the smallest changes you're making in their lives, not even like the big medical changes, but just the simple ones. And Yeah. I just appreciate that so much, Bethany. Um, tonight, our plan is to talk about office culture with you, and you. to get this office culture conversation started, I wanted to ask you, what is office culture, and how would you define it?
1: Hmm. I think when I think of office culture, I think it. I think it means who we are as a team and what we're about i think that you know any dental practice no matter where you go they all do the same things like most of them provide the same kind of services and for the most part they operate nearly the same way but very few practices have um a real identity in their culture and and are very intentional about it and so to me like you know thinking about culture it's it's about the attitudes of the individuals who work on that team it's it's about um the personal goals that they have the the vision the mission statement the core values like all of those things will communicate who the team is and ultimately who you are is what's going to make or break you as a practice. It's it's going to be how you either retain or drive away employees. And it's also going to be how you either attract or repel your patients too. I mean, patients are very keen on that stuff. When they come to a dental office, they can tell pretty quickly if it's a healthy culture or not. And for patients that really, really care about their, their dental health and and the quality of the care that they provide, they will very easily leave a practice when they can sense that the culture is not a healthy one. So it's, it's important, Mm -hmm. um, not only just for keeping a happy workplace, but also maintaining a successful business.
2: I think that is a wonderful very broad de- definition. And I think all those answers definitely encapsulate that whole idea of culture. Um I was on social media earlier today and there was um it was an advertisement, but um I don't know how the market is. You're in Texas, correct? Yeah, Bethany.
1: Yeah, I'm in the um, Fort Worth area. area.
2: Oh, okay. Um <clears throat> in Utah. I've only been up here about three years, but since COVID, the hygiene market has just drastically changed very much in the hygienist's favor. And so this advertisement was kind of touching on um, unsustainable, quote unquote, um, rise in the cost of employment for hygienists. And when they say unsustainable, it's like, okay, $40 an hour, we're finally getting $40 an hour. Um, But anyway, it was a dentist that was interviewing a hygienist um, and specifically a consultant. And she was saying, if your office culture is fantastic, you are not going to have a problem navigating the market and inflation and the demand on your hygienist. If your hygienist is happy where she's at, you know, obviously with somewhat being competitive with pay, you're not going to have a problem with your staff leaving. If you have good culture, and I had not really thought about that aspect of inflation proofing your practice with making your culture like making your employees want to be there. It makes sense, obviously, but I just hadn't like heard it until I saw that advertisement and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah it's
0: people, well, people I get that loyal. Amanda like, okay, I love the culture I'll accept a lower salary. But I kind of want this world where we can have have it all. Like I want a good culture yes. and a salary that I'm sure. comfortable with. And I think, I think that's totally doable, actually. So I, yes. I I like where that ad was going with it. But I've kind of like I don't want to settle just because the place is fits all the boxes but one. Right. I, I really think there could be a place that would fit fit every box.
2: Yeah, I I do agree with that. that. I think like way low salary. No, not a chance. But like for a dollar, someone's not going to leave for a dollar. Yeah. In pay difference. Yeah. Anyway, I I saw that earlier and I was like, oh, how poignant for today. (laughs) So, so Bethany, what kind of experiences have you had with office culture, good or bad? Just kind of um, fun stories that you're willing to share (laughs) with us. Um,
1: I, I could go on and on about <laughs> culture stories. Um, I mean, I, I think looking back at my career, cause I've, I've been working in dental hygiene or in dentistry, um, for, I guess a little closer to like 11 or 12 years. And, and I have seen both sides. I've, I've worked in offices that had a really strong, healthy culture, and it was a happy place to work. And even in the times where everything wasn't perfect, the team was really great about working things out and finding solutions. And then I've also worked in practices where the culture was um, – very toxic and and very unhealthy and so I don't know. I, I guess if I were to think about like the healthiest culture, I worked I worked with a team. It was actually the doctor that I work with now. Um when I very first started working with him, he uh he worked with a practice management group. Um they're called the Crabtree group and they're they're a small consultant group that they're based out of the Nashville area. And that was, that was actually my first taste of what healthy culture looks like. They, they really were hands-on in, in being involved with our team and communication was like a really important pillar of, of how they led the practice. And, and so at first it kind of, um, intimidated me a little bit because we would have uh, several meetings during the week and and during these meetings, we were very much encouraged to be in constant communication with our team members. Even if we felt like there wasn't anything necessarily to communicate, they were always challenging us to, to find areas that could use a solution And by coming from that approach, like at first it was a little overwhelming for me, but I, I just chose to approach it with an, with an open mind. And the more that I embraced it, the more I really learned to appreciate it because all of the communication that we had and having some of these like difficult conversations that you might not normally have with your team members, they really helped to strengthen our team and, uh, and really strengthen that, that healthy culture that we wanted. And so because our communication was functioning at such a high level, our performance as a team was amazing. Like we, at that time, our team consisted of four people. We had the doctor, i was the only hygienist and then we had an assistant and an administrative team member and between the four of us um we were very easily bringing in 1.2 1.5 million dollars a year in uh, in revenue for the business and it was because our our communication was so high and and we knew how we could depend on each other there was a high level of accountability and and it was awesome so that would probably be like my most positive experience as far as culture goes um but over the years i mean i've there was one practice that i worked at where um, again it was it was a small practice there were five team members total and the practice owner she had a lot of trust issues she had a lot of turnover with her practice over the years, and I should have seen that as a red flag, but I chose to ignore it because I needed a job, and and she seemed to really mm-hmm. like me, and and seemed, uh, I don't know, like she she would treat us well, um, but she she just she didn't trust anybody and and a lot of the things that she had promised me when she first hired me as far as having regular opportunities for communication with the team and regular morning meetings um opportunities for growth and advancement all those things um once i actually joined the team they weren't a part of like the the daily life in that practice um we had times where she would come into work completely emotional um, but not want to talk to us about what was going on it was not unusual for her to show up an hour or an hour and a half late in the mornings without letting us know and and so we would be left with these patients that would be sitting in her chair waiting for her and we'd have to like try to preoccupy them and and they would leave upset um she had uh she had always reminded us that there were cameras all over the office and speakers um or microphones i should say to where she could listen in um to conversations in virtually any room of the office and her biggest fear was um a team member stealing from her i think Maybe she had a negative experience with that in the past, but these were all things that were like a daily part of working in that practice. And so I tried my best (laughs) to, uh, to make it work over a long, a long period of time. But over about nine months, I was like, I can't do this anymore. It was weighing on my mental health. Um, I was actually, getting to the point where I could barely sleep at night. I just had that feeling of like complete dread when I would be driving into work in the mornings and I didn't feel at home in the office. I didn't feel trusted. And, and the, the funny thing about trust is when somebody treats you like they can't trust you, it has the opposite effect on that person you start to feel like you can't trust that person because they always view you with this Mm -hmm. degree of skepticism and um and so that's kind of how i started to feel about her too i started to notice a lot of like secret behaviors that she had and she was into some some legal issues too and so there was just a lot going on and and finally i just i decided to to move on from that practice out that would probably be like the most unhealthy culture that i've been in 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 all my years it was a little unusual so bethany
0: you really just described like two polar opposite oh. worlds there one <laughs> yeah. with fabulous communication oh. the office is producing over a million dollars i'm curious with the office where you're being like spied on all day um
1: what was the production like in there it wasn't good it was I I bet yeah it was the exact opposite of where I'd come from it it, the office or the practice was struggling big time we I don't know my my hygiene schedule was rarely full and I want to say that she maybe saw one or two restorative patients a day Um, there was a lot of downtime and with all that downtime you know we were always being asked what we were doing with it what we were working on and it was a lot of micromanaging going on and um yeah the the business definitely was a reflection of of the culture that was there so it's it is very interesting how those two things are are very tightly woven
0: Yeah. That was like just a beautiful analogy of how much the culture truly affects productivity for the practice.
1: Yeah. I mean, not only like
0: productivity, but even job satisfaction. I mean, you know, one where you felt at home and then the other was just dreadful getting in there. Um, How long did you say you lasted in that uh i don't know lesser desirable practice <laughs> I, <laughs> I was Gestapo.
2: there for
1: looking for Gestapo. <laughs> i was there for nine long months um i really <sighs> i really shouldn't have even stayed that long but um i really I, I wanted to make it work i mean i think we all as team members like whether we're happy or not we all have this internal battle with ourselves where we don't want to see ourselves as being a quitter and and i think a lot of us have this this fantasy or this dream of finding the dream office that we're there, you know, two decades until we retire and unfortunately for for a lot of dental practices they're just they're not present presenting an environment that would support something like that. And so that's kind of the decision that I had to come to was, you know, this this is just plainly not a healthy place for me to be, and and it really is affecting me like physically and mentally, and it's not going to change. I mean, we, we would have these heart-to-heart conversations and new promises would be made, but within like 48 hours those promises would be broken. And so it was kind of like this vicious cycle. And then finally, when I decided that it was time for me to move on, I had um, given her my two weeks notice and I left left the practice that day. And like within an hour of me leaving, I got a notification on my phone that she had removed me as an administrator for her Facebook page because I was helping her with her social media and and like the very next day i had a hygienist friend who reached out to me who she does a lot of temp work in the area and she reached out to me saying oh my gosh uh your doctor just reached out to me and she asked me to come temp for you guys on on monday so it looks like i'll get to see you and i knew right away what was going on because as we kind of already established um the hygiene schedule was never full to even support one hygienist <laughs> and so <laughs> the fact that she was wanting to bring in a temp i was like okay. <clears throat> so i had reached out to the practice owner and i was like hey so um so and so got in touch with me what's going on and she basically said that she felt like she needed to make a decision that would protect her and her patients. And by having me come back to work on Monday, um, she worried about how that would affect the patients. So she decided to, uh, to replace me. So it just confirmed to me that I made the best decision for myself and, and honestly, like it wasn't a great situation, but I, I look back on it now and it was a lesson learned and it made me stronger. And it, it helped, helped to teach me, um, how to trust my gut more because I, I hadn't been doing that very much. I think that until like this big COVID pandemic had hit us, the hygiene market was, um, it was tough out there. We, there was a lot of, uh, Comp- competition for jobs and you know in in my area um and i feel like it was more nationwide if if you were a hygienist looking for a job you were you were really really lucky to get one <laughs> um you didn't really have a lot to choose from and so i think after the pandemic hit it took a lot of us um by surprise, I think maybe some culture shock to realize like with with this huge exodus that we've had of dental hygienists like we actually are in a position now to where we can choose where we work, and we can choose the the practice and then and the environment that we want to work in and and for a lot of us I think we're still learning how to do that we're still trying to get over that that mentality mentality of uh, scarcity and and to realize that we we can actually be choosing now on where we work and and that's a great place to be i'm really happy to see that
0: no um you're absolutely right we do get to choose where we work now and that is new to the industry 100 percent. there um oftentimes when i'm with clients i'm trying to explain this exact same concept to them that the the game has changed now. You don't have 100 applicants to choose from. It's more like they're interviewing for the position rather than mm-hmm. us. So I'm like, you need to sell your hygienist on the position. Why do they want to be in your practice? Right. And I'm like, this isn't like, it, it's not the way it was. We're like, you're lucky if we pick you. Now it, the roles have totally flipped where you are lucky if the hygienist picks you (laughs) like you will be the winner if we pick you and Mm -hmm. we we have so much to offer um but what I want to go from there is like what kind of advice do you have for hygienists who who do have the control now to choose where they want to work what kind of things can they do to keep to um almost like okay you are so lucky i am here because this is why i bring all of these fabulous things to the table what do you think hygienists should be bringing to the table
1: to help with the office culture yeah I, that's a really good question i i think that i think we really need to get real with ourselves and and dig deep and and find those those skills and those qualities that each of us uniquely have that we we do bring to the practice because it's it's different for all of us like you know we all essentially do the same job but each of us has a, a different uh, set of strengths and weaknesses and um and it's really important to identify those as in individuals um I think just like you said, you know, coming into the interview, realizing that the interview is is not just for the practice, it's for you too, it's an opportunity for you to get a, an idea of if this if this practice is um, a good fit for you and, and if it's even worth your time moving forward with a working interview or, you know, a potential job offer, you don't have to say yes and, Mm -hmm. And again, you know, that is um, that's a a train of thought that we all need to get ourselves out of is, you know, automatically accepting a job because it's offered to us. You you don't have to. Mm -hmm. And and so being able to recognize practices that that have the green flags um, to attract employees like like a high level of communication or. Um, practices that celebrate their team members, you know, they they uh, provide them with verbal affirmation or re- a reward system or, um, you know, team outings, uh, opportunities for team members to bond with one another, all of those things, um, they're not as easy to find as you would think. And so when you do find a practice that's actually making intentional moves to support a healthy culture, we have to, we have to learn how to recognize that. Um, one of my friends, her name is Brittany Gloss and, and she's, um, got a really large uh, Instagram and TikTok following her. Um, I think her account is brush with Brit, but she had posted a, um, a video not too long ago that I really liked. She was talking about when you're looking for, um, a potential employer uh, an important question to ask them is if they value the hygiene department and to just sit back and wait for them to answer and when they say yes to follow up that question with what do you do to communicate value to your hygiene department and just sit back and let them answer that. And, and I think that's such solid advice because I don't think many practices are put in that position to, um, to really talk about what they're doing to support their hygiene department. And I don't think that a lot of practices are actively taking steps to support their hygiene department with, um, state-of-the-art equipment and new technology and helping their hygienists um, get to quality CE events and and things like that so I I think that that would be a great approach when you're in the interviewing process and and you're looking for a good healthy practice
0: yeah it is pretty neat that we actually get to Mm -hmm bring these questions into the interview. And I love that we are, um, using social media as like this networking tool. And we are like sharing all of things that have helped us in our careers with fellow hygienists. And then they can take those pieces, um, just like Brittany and share that with other providers. Like, Hey, this was successful for me. Try it. I I love that sense of like, um, I don't even know what to call it, but just the, the sense of community, the, just we're not, we're like actually not competing against each other anymore. We can all help one another.
1: Yeah. I love that too. That's, that's like so good to see because I, I don't feel like I experienced much of that for the first several years of my practice. So to have that kind of like camaraderie with, with our colleagues is is really special. And I think that the more that we support one another and that kind of thing, um, we're going to see our profession really take off in in the direction we want it to go. And we're going to see change. And, and I'm excited for that. I think it's awesome.
2: I definitely agree with that. Camaraderie instead of competition is definitely a healthier dynamic within the hygiene world so yeah um what would you say like are ways to feed good culture and ways that you've seen like feed bad culture within a practice like communication obviously we we saw that one communication is a big one
1: yeah I think like feeding good culture it it has to start with an open heart and an open mind. You have to be willing to to grow and you have to be willing to change. And and those things alone um, are not common traits in, in a lot of businesses. And, and I'm not even just talking like dentistry, but just business as a whole, Um I think it's just part of our human nature as we we find comfort in things being familiar and things being the same. But we also know that everything in our world is constantly changing. And so when when you own a business and, and when you are leading a team, you have to know that things are always changing and you have to be able to change with the times and so so having that openness to stretch yourself and to do and to try different things um that's really what's going to separate like the leader from the boss and um i would i would say feeding a healthy culture i mean that's going to be the leader of the practice investing themselves in leadership training And it's going to be the leader in the office identifying team members that have leadership qualities and bringing them up in leadership um, and treating all of their team members like they have an ownership role in the practice. And, and, you know, we're talking about hygienists being choosy about where they work, but I, I think that practices need to be more choosy too, on the team members that they're bringing into the practice. If, if healthy culture is a priority to them, um, I think that we need to be hiring team members based more on their attitudes than probably their um, their experience. I think that attitude is gonna outshine all, a, whatever experience you have, even in my practice, um, We just brought on a new new team member because we're growing and and there's just too much work for the small group that we have. And so we knew we needed to hire somebody new. And we talked about, (laughs) excuse me, some different ways that we'd go about hiring on this person. And and we ended up hiring um, a young lady that she's actually got zero dental or medical experience. She's, she's never worked in a healthcare setting before, but I was actually a part of the interviewing process with her and just having, sharing a phone call with her initially, asking her questions, like she just had the right answers and, and it's not necessarily something that I can explain, but I could just sense in the phone call that she was a genuine person and that she was um, open to being coached and learning something new. And so I invited her back to the office and we had a more formal like sit down interview. And again, it was just like this intuition that I was getting from her. Like, you know, like she's she doesn't have the experience that we necessarily need, but we can teach all that stuff. Like she can learn that. It's really the attitude that I think is the important thing to be hiring in an individual. So we brought her onto the team a couple weeks ago and for not having any of the uh the clinical or uh, professional experience that we're looking for she is like thriving like she she's picked up everything so fast and um we're we're not even worried about like any of that stuff it's just she's she's been a pleasure to work with and I I think that that's the, the angle that we need to come to hiring individuals with is, is going off of the person that we're hiring and focusing a little bit less on on maybe the professional skills or experience that they have, because those things can all come later. you hear a ring? I'm so
0: sorry, you guys. That is my smoke detector. They're cooking upstairs. <laughs>
1: Okay. I'm sure they'll <laughs> get that under
0: control in a minute. Hang on, just a no. Minute. Are you safe? It's fine. <laughs> I was like, "Is that feedback?" Like, I don't There's know. No <laughs> so funny. I'll I'll edit this out. <laughs> just yeah, you take, just take five. Okay, I'm gonna blow my nose <laughs> a second. Yeah, I'm gonna grab a water and I'll be right back. <laughs> you bet. It's done doing its thing.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: So I will. I will edit that out. That's not a problem. Um. But Bethany, so, okay, you talked about hiring attitude, not experience, and I love that because I was in an office, we were struggling to um, find a hygienist, and it wasn't like we couldn't find the right one, there just wasn't one. Like, we had ads mm-hmm. out, nothing was coming in, and... um you know it wasn't like anything crazy had happened in the office why we lost our hygienist she just delivered her baby and wanted to stay home she just had no plans on yeah. returning so it was like just life just a life-changing event for her and but replacing her was just incredibly challenging and so i had been talking to the doctor i'm like you know just to keep patients on the schedule i let's consider double hygiene for a while let's see if we have better luck with an assistant. And a young girl came in wanting to get some experience before applying to hygiene school. And she was just darling. And she was so excited to learn. And I just, that same thing you just said, like you just spoke to her and you trusted your gut and you were like, I think this has so much potential. And it was just a feeling. It wasn't even like the words she was saying. It's just the way she made me feel. Um. Bethany, I had never had such great success in training anybody in my life. Um, I could say in two days she had open contacts and was infection control queen. And I like she just like was so eager to learn that she just devoured everything I was teaching her. Like, so I am with you like hundred percent on that advice. Like hiring attitude over experience. That it like hands down. Everybody looking to hire should just take that advice, yeah. go with the attitude instead, yeah, um, yeah, I um what I'm thinking next to, though, I wanted to ask you, um who in the office do you think is most responsible for office
1: culture uh, i I think that I think that it's it's really gonna be placed on the practice owner. I mean. And that's kind of hard because I, in in these years that I've been in this industry, I've worked for some practice owners that they fully embrace that. They wanted that. And I've also worked for some practice owners that they they want the freedom that comes with owning a practice, but they don't necessarily want the responsibility that comes with it. and um, and that can be tough. So, it, there there are ways around that if if the practice owner um would describe themselves as like that second category that's fine but but you do need to put somebody in that position to lead your team so whether that is um like a an official like office manager who who's going to take that that role on and and lead the team or or bringing in like a practice management group or a consultant um, it doesn't really matter what it looks like but the the team does need a leader and if it's not going to be the practice owner it needs to be somebody that the practice owner fully trusts and endorses because um, too many times they're I think a lot of practices find themselves in the position where, you know, the the practice owner is like that second category. They they want to they want to own a practice but they don't necessarily want to manage it. They they're hoping that they're just going to hire all the right people that will kind of manage themselves. And unfortunately, it just doesn't work that way. Um every team is going to need a leader and when it comes to being a successful leader it it's gonna involve that person investing in themselves it's gonna it's gonna take that person training themselves up to be a leader um you know there's like that cheesy saying that leaders are learners i i don't feel like um great leaders i don't feel like you ever get to the point where you you just don't need to learn anymore you don't need to change anymore so it it really takes a personality where you just you fully embrace that uh, responsibility you fully embrace the opportunity to be able to grow yourself and grow your team with you and and if you if you are not passionate about that you need to bring on somebody who will take that role for you um so, so it can look at a few different ways, but if it's not the practice owner, it needs to be somebody that they specifically put in place and they empower that individual to fully take on that leadership role.
2: I I definitely agree with that. And I think it definitely you touched on this, but that if there's not that person that steps in or is kind of appointed as office, not office leader, but, um, as kind of that culture leader, I think that's really definitely when office culture turns toxic because there's just no clear direction or vision and yeah, that's, that's when chaos happens Mm -hmm. and, uh, that's a slippery slope and yeah, not a productive place to be and not a healthy place to be for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah what I've kind of found with a lot of practices is um, maybe the, the practice owner (coughs) doesn't want to um, take on that leadership role, but they also don't fully entrust that role to anyone else, but they do bring on like an office manager. and, And what I find in those situations is a lot of time, the office manager doesn't have a whole lot of authority or um or leadership within the team they're more of just like uh almost like an informant where they're the eyes and the ears at the office and they're always you know listening for the problems and and the drama and the gossip and they're relaying that to the practice owner um but it, it leaves, it leaves the team feeling, um, very confused on where the leadership is coming from. And, and it also, it can really feed, uh, a really unhealthy, uh, office culture because when the leadership is not strong from any one person, I think it just, it leaves the practice kind of flopping around, um, with not much direction. Um, and also, You know, with that like informant type um, person in the office, there's a a lack of trust. um, And there Mm -hmm. there tends to be a lot of a lot of negativity in that kind of environment. Yeah, I mean, we uh, we just
0: brought it full circle with the trust and communication being just key for the office culture. I like how you touched on when the practice owner doesn't fully hand over like you're in charge of office morale type of a job description to somebody like everybody's just in limbo and things sort of slowly or quickly go toxic from there just this confusion of who's actually in charge here and when we first came up with the topic of like you know what let's talk about office culture Um, my first thought was like, I'm the office culture. Like it's me. When I show up, I'm bringing energy and enthusiasm and just pleasantries like to everybody. I kind of um, feel like the hygienist is almost expected to have like, leave your personal life at the door because you are now in charge of uplifting the entire team through the day and um it was like nobody gave me this job title i just saw that nobody had it so i just scooped it up and made it my own i'm like i will take responsibility for this like with no acknowledgement from anyone just because that's uh the environment I want to be in, right? I'm just creating this environment that I like, I like to work with people where we're laughing and having fun together, engaging in small chit chat mm-hmm. with colleagues, like how was your weekend? How is your son doing or whatever it may be, right? And so when I first thought like, office culture, I'm like, Oh, it's me. I'm the culture. <laughs> I am the office culture. <laughs> Do you have you guys ever felt that way? Like you had to pick up that responsibility, like unspoken, just you just saw
1: the need and just felt obligated to take it on yes I I've definitely been in that position before but um the the challenges that I've had with that is you you can only do so much as like the the culture leader in the in the practice Mm -hmm. when you haven't been like officially delegated that position by the practice Mm -hmm. owner and like fully supported in it. And so, you know, if, if your, if your practice owner makes, makes that very clear to the team and gives you their full support, then that's amazing. And I think that that's a great position to be in. Um, But if, if that's not really happened, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of times I've, I've kind of, I've been that person too in, practices where the culture is suffering. And <clears throat> what I kind of found from my personal experiences, when I kind of took on that that culture leader position, I found where a lot of the team members were gravitating toward me and looking to me for guidance and leadership, and they would confide in me, um, with a lot of challenges and issues that they were having and and it ended up putting me in some uncomfortable situations where team members were coming to me for for very serious issues that they really should have been involving the practice owner in and you know discussing their employment and and just it got kind of messy Mm -hmm. and since since I hadn't been officially given that role as like, you know, the, the leader of the office or, you know, been put in that leadership position, it, it just, it left me feeling uh, like I had this big burden as much as, as much as I love to bring like a, a positive energy to the office. I like to uplift people. I, I thrive on relationships. Um, all that stuff, like, it's it started to actually deplete all that stuff for me because, um, just because of the the demand there was for strong leadership within the office that I couldn't, like, officially provide to them, if that makes any sense.
0: Uh, no, mm-hmm. I agree with that, like, 100%. It's like, uh, I'm not even at those practices anymore because that's probably reflecting back on it, what burnt me out, was trying mm-hmm. to... Cater to my patients and my team in this role and it was, it was exhausting.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It's it's yeah. very difficult to do at all. Bethany,
2: I'm curious, kind of stepping away from our primary talk here, why did you choose human RDH for your social media
1: handle? <laughs> um Well, I, I guess it kind of like revolves around this conversation that we've been having. Like I, I really have over the years, I've, I've felt like a lot of times I was like that person that, that my team would come to, because I think in a lot of dental practices, we're all expected to come in and do a job and, and to leave our personal lives at the door and, almost to operate in a mechanic way, mechanical way, um, like, like a robot to be able to stay on time during the day and take great care of our patients in a way that is um, lucrative for the practice and um, and this level of performance that it's really hard to do if you're, if you're not a robot. And so I just really started to realize that over time, that when it comes to dentistry and dental hygiene, we're really missing like this big human piece that unites us all. You know, we all have um, this emotional side to us. We all have um, different unique gifts and skills that, that we bring to the job every day that aren't necessarily celebrated or utilized. And so when I was kind of thinking about what I wanted to focus on with my social media presence, I, I really wanted to focus on that. I really wanted to focus on the re- relational aspect of, of dental hygiene. And I wanted to focus on things like mental health. And And one of the the main things that I've used my social media account to spotlight are ways that a clinician can advance themselves professionally outside of clinical dental hygiene Mm -hmm. um i love dental hygiene it's it's always going to be my first love as far as uh, my profession goes but for a lot of us we find ourselves in a position after so many years to where we start to wonder is this it like this, this is what I get to do every day. And you know, the, the same procedures that we do patient after patient day after day, they, they do start, they can start to become uh, really mundane and, and a lot of hygienists have these, um, these skills. And I mean, how many hygienists do you know that have like a side gig? like they do some other, you know, they have some other business on the side, whether that's like Mm -hmm. a hobby or these like multi-level marketing things or, you know, being a lifestyle coach, like many hygienists have a business owner mindset. And when you're working in a, a business structure where you're not allowed to utilize that at all, I think that that's why a lot of hygienists start to feel trapped and and then to throw in like this heavy workload and and a lot of the day-to-day issues and the drama that can come along with clinical practice too, I, I think that's why so many hygienists have just slowly left the field. So, for me, being able to share healthy outlets for clinicians to be able to expand themselves beyond clinical hygiene. I I know that for me personally, that's brought me so much joy that I didn't used to have when it comes to the work that I do every day and, and how I contribute toward my profession and and all of that. I just, I, I really love being able to share opportunities with people and being able to talk about the importance of networking and mentorship and and that growth mindset Um, we we learn in dental hygiene school that we need to be lifelong learners but i don't think most of us stay that way i think we get into the workforce we get our job we start getting our paychecks and from there we just we kind of get tunnel vision and we're just focused on on our paychecks a lot of us don't even invest in like good quality CE. We do what's convenient or what's free or what's online. And that really is what's going to separate um, the happy clinicians from the unhappy ones are the ones that they're willing to invest in themselves and they're willing to stretch themselves outside of their comfort zone to to grow and to do new things. So that's that's mainly what human rdh is about is just helping to promote the profession and and to grow clinicians and and to make happier humans i love that um bethany that is just beautiful i love it so
0: much and i, it was, it's beautiful. Today, I was telling this doctor i was with i'm like i have to get home in time because We are having a conversation with Bethany, the human RDH. Do you know who she is? And he's like, no, I don't know who she is. And I'm like, well, let me tell you, she is incredible. She is just genuinely kind. She's such a good person. And she's just so caring, but also just so humble and... I I just couldn't thank you enough for for like chatting with us tonight and I have just praised your name like all week. (laughs) Like we get to talk to Bethany. It's been an honor. um, You really have done just such a wonderful thing for the community of hygienists with sharing that outlook on what Mm -hmm. they can do outside of the clinic, uplifting themselves, investing in themselves. Um, I love all of the great office culture things that we've collaborated on tonight like the mission statements your like establishing the leadership role and just every everything that encompasses all of that tonight um but Amanda and I we always we have these signature sign off questions that we want to ask you okay and Amanda do you want to go first
2: sure i'll go first okay so <coughs> bethany What topic or concept do you wish you would have learned in
1: school that you learned your first year or two of practice? I think it would have been how to how to take care of myself as a person. Um, Nobody really talked to us at all about, uh, you know, as a hygiene student, we I think we're all taught that once we get into the workforce, it's, it's high paced or fast paced. It's there's a lot of pressure and all that, but I don't think that we're really taught ways to preserve ourselves and, and to protect our minds and and our hearts from all of the uh, assaults (laughs) that we get from day to day. I mean, even, even if you work in a very healthy um, work setting, you're you're going to experience some of this stuff. And like the burnout that we hear about all the time, that is not just unique to dental hygiene. That is any profession that you choose. I've I've got family um, who who are nurses. I've got family who are teachers. I've got um, I don't know just. All kinds of different industries in my family, and it's funny to me because when I'm on the different hygiene forums on online, I hear a lot of hygienists say like, "I should have been a nurse. I should have been a teacher," um, and and you know they're facing all the same stuff that we do too. And and what I mm-hmm. believe is that a lot of it comes down to to, to our attitudes. And if our, if our attitude is not in the right place, we're not going to be happy whether we're working as a dental hygienist or a nurse or a teacher. Um, so I wish I had learned um, ways ways to take care of myself. And, and I wish somebody had come and talked to us about practices to maintain mental health and, and the importance of things like having a hobby um, A lot of us don't have that we don't really think about that that having a hobby is very therapeutic and when when you're not practicing clinically having some kind of healthy outlet where you are expressing yourself being creative like that does so much for our brain that we don't even realize and it it helps to preserve us it helps to balance things out so that's that's what i wish i had learned in hygiene school okay bethany
0: i'm dying to know what it's is good. your hobby what do you what do you like to do when you're not in school when you're not at your sleep yeah. office, what are, what do you like to do she
1: sleeps she
2: sleeps that's what she
1: does i barely yeah i barely have time for sleep honestly um <laughs> i bet actually if if i were to define my hobby it it really has been writing um i i didn't grow up as like a big writer i I remember like as a teenager, I had a diary that I never wrote in, like I I got the diary with the special lock on it and I wrote maybe on the first two or three pages and then I fell off of the schedule. Um, I was never good about it, but as an adult, um, i I have found where I enjoy expressing myself through writing and so it just so happens for me that i'm able to use the hobby that i enjoy um to to still make um a salary out of it so like a lot of the writing that i do for these different publications like i i guess that kind of sounds silly but it it's that's my therapy is being able to um to get my fingers on a keyboard and really just express myself through my writing. Um, it brings me peace. It helps to slow everything down. It helps me to really focus on um, certain things because I'm just like any other adult. I've I've got about 16 tabs open in my brain at one single time and, and I'm getting to the point now to where like I forget things a lot. Um, I can be very absent minded but when i'm when I'm writing um it helps to bring um, clarity to everything all the chaos that's around me, so that's my hobby
0: um that's not silly at all. I love that <laughs> actually, Amanda, what is your hobby when you're not in clinic?
2: Oh gosh, I have too many hobbies um. <laughs> Finally, I think it stopped snowing today. So gardening, um, seasonal gardening. Uh, my husband and I do a lot of traveling and I like to capture our memories in scrapbooks. So I have a ridiculous amount of scrapbooks already. Um, I am notorious for saving like every shred of paper, maps, everything, and I'll like <laughs> highlight the things that we did. So uh, organization products or projects around the house, all of those things. Ooh,
1: I could hire you for that. I, (laughs) I would happily do it. Yeah. I would pay somebody to come organize my house. That would be amazing. Mm -hmm. I love that you do that. It's, it's cathartic. Yeah. For me.
0: (laughs) Well, (laughs) um, you when I, yeah, when I'm not in clinic, um, I started training jujitsu, and I actually love it. Um, I'm, oh, no. my goal is like three nights a week, go to my jujitsu jitsu class. And it is just like changed me as a person almost. I love it so, so much. But I wanted us to share all of our hobbies just to illustrate, like, it doesn't even matter what it is. Just having one that you like mm-hmm. is so important. Just not even as a hygienist, just being a human, (laughs) just just living your life and having some kind of outlet where stresses are low, and you're happy, like having a hobby is just so, so important. Um, Yes. And so I guess, Bethany, the last question I have that I wanted to ask you that we love to ask everybody. So no repeat answers here. What piece of advice do you wish you could go back and give yourself as a new grad?
1: Hmm. I think I think I would tell myself to be easy on myself like I think when we graduate from hygiene school we have these high expectations of how we want to be as clinicians I think that the attitude um from a lot of hygiene programs is, you know, there's this high pressure for them to prepare you for the workforce. And so you'll hear a lot from instructors, um, whether they think that you're ready or not for, for the workforce. And, and I think coming into, um, working clinically as a hygienist after hygiene school, it's, it's scary. Like, it's it's a lot you're you're used to getting four hours for a single patient and then just depending on the practice that you're working in you'll get anywhere from 40 to 60 minutes and and it's a big transition to make and so we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be perfect right away and and to not make a mistake when um mistakes are how we learn i mean their lessons and so being able to realize that there's always you know the uh, the lesson out of the mistake and if you're in you know going back to the culture thing if you're in a healthy culture your team is going to give you the grace to make mistakes without you know getting mm-hmm. the third degree and um I've I've heard of some teams actually where they they will actually like celebrate and cheer when somebody when somebody makes a mistake because they they want to be able to support that person in growing and and they know that when you're learning that lesson you're growing and you're becoming better than you were before so just uh, you know being easy on ourselves and giving ourselves that grace and allowing ourselves to make mistakes once in a while—that's that's just the beauty of of developing as a person and in our human experience.
0: Bethany, that is awesome. I well, love <laughs> chatting with you <laughs> so so much. <laughs> <laughs> you just really have this down-to-earth, genuine persona that is just draws us in we just
2: love
0: <laughs> following you reading your articles listening to what you're talking about i, I can't say it enough like how many mm-hmm. wonderful things you're doing for I, i'm not i want to say like my mouth is about to say next generation of hygiene but it's also the current generation it's for all the hygiene, all mm-hmm. of us the old the new all of it um But yeah, so Bethany, just thank you so much for chatting with us tonight. And I'm sure we're gonna see each other at conventions again. I know we will.
1: I hope so.
2: Nashville.
0: Yes, Nashville's calling our name.
1: (laughs) Yes, I can't wait. It's gonna be awesome.
0: Yes. Um, but seriously, Bethany, thank you so much. We value your time and I I know it's late on your end, so just I can't thank you enough. You're fabulous.
1: Keep doing what you're doing. You good, luck good luck with school. Good luck with grad school. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I appreciate your time and and the good conversation and um, and I look forward to seeing you guys over the summer. I think it's going to be a lot of fun in Nashville, so I can't wait for that. Yeah, we will be
0: there. Cool. All right. Good night, you guys.
1: All right. Get Bye. some rest. Thanks.
0: <laughs> Bye. Bye.